Let's do this. What up? Beer. I'm ready. All right. How you doing? Hey, how's it going? Good. How's your week? Week's been good. It's uh, excitement all around here in uh, sunny St. Paul, Minnesota. Can we can we talk about the fifteenth? Is that is that? No. No. Okay. Today. It's in the middle of the month. What else can you say about it? That's about it, right? That is. So, uh, yeah. So, so we need we need mics. Yeah, we need mics. If anyone uh, has some and a theme song, awesome USB mics, um, or yeah, or you know, non USB mics with uh, nice preamps and stuff and and A to D's. I don't want any of that. All right. So we're not we're talking not. about uh, Lion this week. We're not. Why not? Apparently, it hasn't shipped yet. Oh. Also, I the the mail client is really weird. Just What's weird about it? Like you you reply to a message and like the message flies out of the window and then you click send and then it flies away. It's a little oh, bit. Uh, you know what it should do? It should fold itself up into a paper airplane. It should. It should. It should let you choose what kind off. of plane. And then there should be like an Angry Birds level, where you test the aerodynamics. Hmm. This sounds like a winning idea. Did you, did you ever play Glider? Glider Pro? I don't think so. Oh, you're too young. I remember, though, there was an app. You're too young to the Mac. There was an app uh, for my friend's 486 that uh, let you like design planes, and then it printed them, and then you folded them. That was a pretty cool app. Now, Glider Pro was like the closest thing you could get to a game for the Mac for years. <laughs> Probably still you. is. Whatever we got steam now, but you could uh, you could pilot these little paper this little paper airplane around a uh, like a scroller of a building of some kind, and so you would get the thermals off the vents, and there were fans that blow you around and stuff. It was a fun game. Nice. Yeah, black and white. All right. Maybe some gray. Who needs more than that? Yeah. So uh, this week we had some topics: a topic, two topics, maybe. Yeah, so, so you were saying you haven't you hadn't checked it out yet? There the Avid event yesterday. No. So tell me what what what, what can we expect and where can I learn more? Um, I learned about it from um, my friend uh, Shane Ross. Oh, his, here we go. <laughs> his website is like Frog something Frog. Shane Did they Clark. really? They really called the event committed to the professional. Yeah, why not? Classy. Isn't that isn't that what you do right now? It's, I mean, yeah, it's just uh, you know, it's pretty funny. That's that's how you do marketing. Apple finally dropped the ball on something, and this is your chance to pick it up and run. Yeah. So it looks like they uh, sort of, you know, toned down the brightness on their interface. Yeah, so I mean, a bunch of so they. It sounds like what sounds like what happened was they invited a bunch of editors and such to a thing at Warner Brothers, and they put up a slide saying um, everything we talk about might be vaporware, but we're going to show it to you anyways, and then they proceeded to talk about all of the stuff that they are working on or want to work on or I don't know. They they made a bunch of promises that they specifically said were not promises. 
Okay. Um, and it seems like they've already done a little bit of backtracking or um, word parsing through Twitter. Um, like, I mean, so some of the big announcements were they're going to be 64-bit, which is nice, necessary. Yes. Um, they're going to do 4K native. Again, yeah. They're going to do... Um, they did some slide which listed all of the major third-party... Um, yeah, I see that here. Matrix, AJA, Blackmagic, Motu. Right. And that's, that's the one I've seen them backpedal a lot from already. Um, so they already work with the MXO2 Mini, I believe. And they work um, with... Don't they work I think with, they work with the Aja IO, too. Yeah. But no PCI cards. And then they showed the Kona 3, like a picture of it, and said that they're listening. But I don't know if they... I mean, I saw a reply... Oops, sorry about that. I saw a reply today... Where they basically said, like, we're, yeah, we're um, in talks with people. <laughs> like, All right. So they, you know, they, someone said, look, you know, this is proof that they're going to support all of these cards. And, you know, someone from, from Avid came out and said, no, it means that we have pictures of their cards and uh, we're talking to them. Right. So that'll be interesting. But um, I mean, they the, talked about Red Giant. Sounds mm -hmm. like they want to do a lot more stuff with uh, plugins, which would be good because their plugin, their what is it? A not AMA, AVE. Ah, I'm so I don't know much about the uh, Avid ecosystem, just because I they've always been kind of hard to work with as a developer. Um, so I mean, that's you know that's nice. They seem to be making overtures. To working with other people now, yeah, which is good. But the, I mean, it seems like the sort of key message was we're gonna we're gonna do some cool stuff in the future, but we're not gonna take anything away. And uh, you know, I would right. Not. So like they showed they showed their new they've got a new UI that they wanted to talk about, which is I mean it's literally their old UI with a different color scheme. Like right. they did not change anything they didn't move the placement of any buttons and i would i would bet you know two to one that somewhere in the preferences there'll be an option for classic interface yes there will be i guarantee that yeah so but i mean you know it's nice it's darker his gradients right it does look better i'll give them that i mean yeah. it's an incremental improvement Absolutely. and it sounds like they're doing some pretty major improvements under the hood you know 64 bit is not an easy thing to do right um they're adding some more um, um, what else are they doing? Well, I mean, well, they've got the DNX HD 444, which we talked right. about a little bit before we started recording here, um, which you know could be could be good and 7.1 audio support. Right. Um, so you know, all those sort of things that you'd expect in a modern editing platform, um, right? And and you know, a modern finishing platform to some extent. Um, you know, which, sure, great. I mean, uh, I think what I would, I'd like to use this as a jumping off point is to maybe talk a little bit about, um, you know, Avid as an editing platform, um, the sort of pros and cons and, and because I know, you know, anytime Avid comes up, um, you sort of start having this sort of semi-orgasmic reaction to, uh, to Avid. Um, just the trim tool. That's it. The rest of it sucks. 
Right. Well, and I think, you know, what my, my take on Avid has always been that if you're a professional editor, and I mean, you know, professional both in the sense of like you're paid to edit, but also just sort of in the way you approach a project as sort of, you know, there's a task that has to be accomplished, I, you know, sort of have a clear directive on how it's going to look and whatever, I'm not here to play around. Avid makes a ton of sense because, you know, I think if you're really skilled on the platform and you know what you want, you can get stuff done faster on Avid. Right. Can we, can we just float a new definition of professional because I'm sick of all these Yeah, go things. for it. A professional is someone who does someone else's project for money on a timeline. Done. Works for me. Right? I mean, yeah. that's the difference. Like, and that, you know, I mean, a large part of who... Final Cut Pro, the new version of Final Cut Pro is targeting. A lot of people are going to be doing that, but it's not, you know, there's also going to be a lot of people working on projects to put up on Vimeo, and that's... Or, you know, you know passion projects, documentaries, yeah. and, and whatever, yeah. And, you know, like, I've, you know, I've... When you don't have a deadline, you can do all sorts of stupid shit. Are we allowed to swear? I, we're not, right? No. All sorts of stupid stuff. Beep. Good. You can edit that back. Um, but so, you know, like I remember I was, I was called about, color, about finishing doing like color correction on a documentary because their original plan had been to do it as part of their film out. And they were, the film out people were going to do it in After Effects, which meant taking the entire sh- show. Um, printing it to tape, capturing it as a single shot, sure, and then going through and razoring on all of the cut points, and then doing a color correct in, um, in uh, After Effects non-existent color tools, <laughs> you know, like setup right. and color balance and stuff. And, you know, and they were like six days into a two-day project, and they were still on shot eight. And I got a call that said, "Like, can we do this tonight? Um, we're in Toronto, but we'll fly back. Can you can you do this?" And I was like, "Yes, I just need fourteen more drives, and uh, yeah, I can have it done for you in two days." And it was like seriously, you know, in the process of consideration, just moving the whole thing because. And so, like, yeah, you know, that's it, that's a pro project, right? Um, well, and I think, I mean, um, you know, what I what I my, my stance is that you know, for almost everyone who is a quote unquote video person, you know, the tools are not the deciding factor in in success or in the quality of your output. Um, you know, and that's not just your editing platform, that's your camera, that's your light kit, that's your microphone, whatever else. It's, you know, if, if, you're, if you're a skilled enough filmmaker to take advantage of those tools, yes. But, you know, just like whether you shot your, you know, indie documentary on, you know, an HVX 200 or on a RED 5K, if you're not a good filmmaker, it, it, it doesn't matter. And, and so, you know, a lot of the holy war between platforms gets into this sort of feature pissing match um, that really doesn't have any any bearing on finished products and whether you know projects are, are good or not uh, right it, not on the finished product but on the 
the workflow and your ability to deliver on time and I, your ability. Yeah, but again, if you're not someone who's got the skill set to to actually you know use that that workflow or to build that workflow, it's it's just not really going to matter. You know, I had a I, I remember a, a, an experience for me that was sort of um, eye opening, and you probably don't remember this, but. Uh, uh, we were cutting something. I don't. It must maybe it was a Scopebox demo video or something where I did an initial edit, and then you sat down at my computer in Final Cut and did a pass at it. And watching you cut in Final Cut was really, you know, revealing because you know, one, you're working much more off of the keyboard than I do, and making sort of broad decisions much quicker, um, sort of more in, instinctively or intuitively in terms of what you can trim, you know, how tight shots can be, and you know, getting cruft out of shots and whatever. Um, and I think, you know, because you have more experience in sort of delivering for broadcast and things like that, you know, some of that becomes instinctual. And if you don't have that skill set, whether you're cutting, you know, on iMovie or, you know, Avid or whatever is, is really not going to matter in terms of whether the, the finished product feels good. Right. Which could give us, I can give you a corollary for being maybe not a pro editor, but a good editor, and that is decide your duration before you see any of the footage. <laughs> yeah. That, that makes you a, and, and whatever you just, and if you, do, if you have a like, complete latitude in what your duration is, decide it and then cut it in half before you see your footage. Yeah, I think you know, projects are almost always better shorter. Yes. Um, and and it, you know, this whole thing reminds me a lot of like in the, in the, in the car world, you know, a lot of people who start to get into um, racing cars spend all kinds of time and money, you know, getting, a, you know, half a percent weight savings on their car and all these other things. And it's, it's you know, if you're not a skilled driver, you're never going to, you know, see the benefits of that. And you would be much better spending that time and money, you know, doing five more practice laps. And I think, you know, that's very much true with the tools that we obsess about in this industry. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, again, you just see it across the board and you see it every year at NIB and you see it on message boards, especially the people who sort of have this, you know, finally I can make my movie mentality about buying stuff. Um, and, right. you know, a Apple very much plays to that in, in Final Cut marketing with the sort of, you know, to the tools they build in, but especially the, the way they market them um, in terms of like, you know, this is the magic we can do for you. Um, right. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's a lot that, I don't know, I mean, if you're, if I was making something for the web, I would probably use Final Cut X, um, especially, you know, because I haven't played with it that much. Um, it would be fun to, to tool around in. But it looks, you know, it looks like a good editor. Well, and I definitely think that Final Cut, and especially Final Cut X, really it encourages creativity and it encourages you to play and try different things i mean both in terms of ui but also in terms of feature set um and you know being able to do you know multiple shot selection and whatever really easily i, I think you know especially if you don't have that instinctive sense of you know how things should cut together and you know you're not given a set of storyboards and, and a log sheet um you know an interface like final cut X, even more so than Final Cut 7, really helps you just sort of play and get a feel for things really quickly, which much quicker, I think, than you can do in Avid. Hmm. Perhaps. I'm not sure. Um, 
I well, would say it it's geared to foreground that. Right. How about that? Well, I mean, let's talk a little bit about the the big differences when you move to Avid because unlike the move to, you know, if you move from Final Cut Seven to Premiere, you can figure everything out by just sort of clicking around. For most people, I think if you move from Final Cut Seven to Avid without any training and whatever. I'm saying and whatever a lot. I'm really going to try and stop that. Um, if you moved it right to, into Avid without any training, I think you would have a hard time, you know, getting something into the timeline and then you know slicing it and rearranging it and you know moving things around. Like it's it's not the same thing with a different sort of polish. Right. I mean, I think the big thing is Avid. Avid feels like it was around before UIs were. <laughs> You know, it breaks a few fundamental UI rules. The biggest one being when you click on something and drag, you move it. Right. But you know, that, that has become, baffles nearly everyone. And that has become something it. that avid people, you know, love. Right. I mean, there's something to be said about the fact that you have to make a conscious decision to change your shot. Right. Um, yeah, so what we're talking about is in avid if you ever sat down, clicking anywhere in the timeline doesn't select the thing you click on. It just moves the the playhead to that spot. And so in your timeline, you see a bunch of shots laid out. And, you know, someone's going to, if, you know, if we had these metaphorical listeners, they would be writing in right now saying, like, no, there's a new mode now that changes this. But anyways, traditionally in Avid, when you click on a shot, all that happens is the playhead moves to wherever you clicked in time. Nothing else changes. Um, and so it's a very it's a very modal system. Absolutely. So to select something, you click the selection tool and then click. And then for you know, until you click, you're in selection mode. And when you select something, then you go back into like move the playhead mode. Um, you know, and this is the thing, like, you, you know, this is all single key, you know, hit the G to go into selection mode, sort of, right. you know, it's very keyboard driven. Um, and so what's, what's cool about that is the only thing your mouse really does is choose time. And so it's a very, um... You know, in a lot of ways, it's it's like thinking about um, cutting in the same way that you used to with the Moviola or the other, you know, Steenbeck's the the film editors, where you know what would happen is you you move all of your various layers of video back and forth, left and right, and then and everything stays in sync, and then you cut wherever, and then you move stuff back and forth, left and right, and so. Really, you know, you've got this discrete chunk of time with clips in it, and then a head that you, you know, in the on the the film editors, you move the footage back and forth across the playhead. In Avid, you know, the only thing they really change from that metaphor is you move the playhead back and forth across the footage. Right. Um, and I mean, it, you know, it's a it's a powerful metaphor. It's lasted them what twenty. Five, 20 years now? Something I mean, like that, 25 yeah. years? They've been around for a long time. Um, 
the other thing that I thought was interesting, Avid in their uh, sort of positioning of the event last night, they talked about how um, how much of their staff is from the industry. Right, something like 50% of their staff are former pros from the industry. Oh, was it 50 or was it? Uh, 50 is what I'm seeing here. Yeah. No. Um, which, I don't know, it seems like sort of a fake number to me. I mean, right. 100% of Divergent Media is former pros by that metric. Not former. Right. You still got right. it in you, kid. Exactly. Um, the other thing that I think you find about Avid when you, you know, especially traditionally, but I think still to a great extent, is that you know, Avid is designed to be part of a larger ecosystem and that, you know, sort of permeates the, both their product line, you know, um, and it's gotten, it's gotten better, but it used to be that you could sort of go from Avid, whatever their free product was, on up through sort of really high-end hardware-based platforms like, you know, DS Symphony, Nitrous. Nitrous yeah. yeah. You know, they have a storage platform they, and then they have, of course, Pro Tools and, um, then they were tightly integrated into really high-end workflows for sort of, you know, getting your, you know, sending your edits to the lab to have your film cut and, you know, all, all those other sorts of things. Um, and you sort of feel that throughout the product is that um, there are assumptions that, you know, there are things that you aren't going to do in this, in this product. Um, whereas, you know, especially, you know, in the evolution of Final Cut, you know, Apple was sort of trying to get there um, and adding more and more things. But, uh, uh, now a bit of a reboot there and we're still trying to figure out exactly how that fits into that wider ecosystem. Right. So what all did have we talked about all the acquisitions and how many of them have failed now? From Avid or Final Cut? From Apple. From from Apple. Okay, because we Avid, talked about the Pro Apps acquisitions. No, I don't think so, but I think it's also, you know, maybe we should point out uh, someone on the forums the other day posted all the companies that Avid's bought and and failed to integrate as well, but uh, like who? I mean, they bought Pro Tools. That worked out well. Oh, for that them. one's worked okay. I think Motu's worked out, or uh, not Motu. M Audio's worked out a little bit less well, but they bought well, on um, the Pro Tools side. I think that works for them. But they bought a bunch of software companies, and I'm going to have to try and find the list here um, that have they've just sort of killed the products. Hmm. Um, but let's see. So they bought. Um, so Apple bought. Um, Proximity Artbox, and that became Final Cut Studio or Final Cut Server. Final Cut Server, which is now gone. They bought uh, Silicon Color, which became which was Color, Color, and that's gone. Right, Silicon Color was a company. Their Final Touch was the right. name of the app, of, right? Of, yeah. of which they sold. I heard eight seats. Eight seats of Final Touch. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Wow. They gave a lot away, though, so there were more copies. Apple did or the other people? No, no, before uh, Silicon Color got bought. Oh, really? Yeah. That doesn't sound... That, really? That It's that low? It was a... Do you remember? It was like you had to have a stack of X serves, and it was all, like, really hacky. Yeah. But it was a nice tool. Well, and it was, you know, 50 grand, which was a lot less than a DaVinci before, you know, DaVinci was free. Right. <laughs> um... So they bought them. They bought E Magic or E Music, no, e whatever the Germans who did Logic, and some of them are still at Apple, and Logic right. is still ostensibly around. Uh, Logic is its own studio now, right? That's where Soundtrack yeah. ended up. Yeah, 
it's you was know, soundtrack a purchase? No, that was an in-house. No, thing, soundtrack, right? yeah, soundtrack's a Coco app that came out of that group, the same as GarageBand. Okay. Um, they bought uh, nothing real or whatever to who did Shake. Uh, right, Shake's and that they killed gone. off pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, there's probably been a few other smaller ones that aren't springing to mind here. So do you think? Do you think all of those were? Were they just engineer acquisitions? I think by and large, yeah. I mean, well, do you think, I, I think, do you think that's mix. how they saw it at the time? Mm, I think that's hard to say. I mean, that team has gone through a pretty big shakeup, um, and you know, especially when it came under the control of Phil Schiller, I think there was a pretty dramatic shift in strategy. I mean, I think with at least some of them, I think during the acquisitions, no, they really were thinking that they were going to sort of, you know, rebrand these products and build out this whole, you know, twelve ninety nine ecosystem. Um, mm. And I don't know with some of those other acquisitions, how many of those engineers are still around at Apple. I think um, a lot of them are gone. I'm not yeah, sure. Would, I mean, that's pretty much true with. You know, most that's true of all acquisitions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking here at Apple's or Avid's acquisitions, um, M Audio, Bomb Factory, uh, who made um, plugins for for audio software, um, Pinnacle, which they've slowly been just sort of destroying that product line and killing well, it off. I mean, that's that's been sort of a slow. They decline. bought Pinnacle. I thought yeah. Sony bought Pinnacle. Yeah, Avid did, and they did. They they still sell some of the Deco products, but I don't think they put any investment into them. At least last time I looked at it. So who do you buy? Who do you buy graphics? Chiron. Full time graphics from. I guess. There's a few others. I just don't think it's a huge market these days. Um, there's uh, Sibilis, uh, Wizu, Medea. Oh, I forgot they bought Medea, um, who had also bought Huge. So a couple storage vendors. Um, that I don't know if that's become much of anything. Right. Um, iNews, which has become the Avid iNews platform. <laughs> did, I ever tell, did I ever tell you about my Medea story? No. Uh, so, so I was post-supervisor of a series at uh, Oxygen, and we we bought like for for a while they were like standalone. They were really nice raid towers, right? Yeah. And they, uh, you know, I think they were scuzzy or something. I don't even remember. Um, but we had a nice like like hardware rated, you know, built-in raid controller tower unit. Um, and I was having some argument with some new, um, engineer there, like, uh, so there were, there were two engineering departments. There was the, um, you know, the broadcast engineering people. And then there was the post engineering people, which were like computer guys who knew Final Cut and a couple other things. But, you know, they were like, they were more, you know, on the Mac tech support side than anything. Sure. And we were having some argument about um, about raids and why, you know, I I don't remember what I but I was <laughs> the guy was saying that he was saying something about how you couldn't, you know, do something because it was a raid and raids are really touchy. And I was like, no, it's a raid, that's the whole point. 
And so I was like, it was in the middle of rendering a, like a color correct that I had done. And I hit the button and pull a drive out of the thing. <laughs> and it starts beeping. It's like beep, 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 beep. I'm like, look, it's a raid. That's the whole point of having a raid is you can, you know, pull a drive out and it doesn't matter. You know, like drives fail. That's why you have raids. And it's going beep, 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 beep. And I take the drive, I slide it back in, and I like, you know, cockily like shut the little like handle on it and everything. And I'm like, see? Raids, they're great. <laughs> and then a couple seconds pass, and then a couple more seconds pass, and a couple more seconds pass, and the thing's still going beep, 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 beep. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, so what happened was, um, so the, the beeping was pretty easy to turn off. Um, but what happened was there was a firmware problem with the things. <laughs> and so if you pulled the drive and stuck it back in, it still had to re-image it. Uh, sure. <laughs> and so in the middle of this like final render, which, you know, we wanted to go fairly quickly, it had to rebuild the entire raid array. <laughs> That's actually, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I was, I was right on half of the points. Well, um, in any case, I mean, I, I think, you know, we wanted to just bring up Avid here to talk about that we, you know, we think it's a cool thing and uh, glad they're, you know, making a real push to try and get some momentum back. I don't think they ever really, you know, I, I think the reality of the world in, in post-production is that Avid, you know, hasn't really suffered at the high end extensively um i mean as, they, as they were not doing well financially for a long time i'm right. not sure what the cause of that was well but i think that's you know well in part because again they I went acquisition mad they moved people around a lot and, and i don't know there was a lot of sort of physical capital stuff but uh right i think and it's I guess, also you know a lot of these people make most of their money off aspirational right exactly that's what i was going to say is that there's you know not that many movie studios needing to buy avid licenses every year um so even if you don't lose those clients so you know some, even at their worst something like 80 percent of sort of high-end production was still happening on the avid at least according to, to avid but uh you know that probably only translates into a few thousand seats, um, which is not enough to run a $600 million company. Right. So I mean, the big problem for Avid was they priced themselves out of making money. And then they, you know, tried to, because of the way their product line works, they sort of had to then do these sort of cynical down market pushes, um, which really confused the market. They had Express Pro and Express DV and Free DV and, you know, to right. their credit, they've really cleaned that up with you know media yeah. composer at a certain price, and you can sort of add on to it from there. Um, that was the other nice thing they announced yesterday. I think they announced it yesterday, but I, I saw it in the coverage. Is that um, they're going to do a? Uh, you can buy it as a student, and you get four years of upgrades. Yeah, I saw that, uh, and it's only two ninety five or something. So. They've always had very great. good educational pricing. Um, I've, I've got a great educational copy of Media <laughs> <laughs> Um And so, you know, that, that's great. And that puts them, you know, right on par with Final Cut. And, and if you get four years of updates, um, you know, obviously we don't know how Apple's going to handle updates to Final Cut X. but uh, I think we do. Wow. Don't we? I, I don't know. Well, I, I think, guess they said some of them are going to be free. But I think major upgrades are going to be paid. 
yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how they handle through that through the store, um, but uh, we will see. Now, one thing I would I would caution people on is at least at one point, Avid had some pretty clear rules on what you can and can't do with educational licensed copies of Avid. Um, you know, not that it maybe matters, but right. I think they w- I think they would rather you use them than not. Yeah. Or at least rather you know them, and, and when you get your first real job that buys real licenses, you make sure they have Avid licenses. Yeah. Um, do we want to get into uh, Thunderbolt a little bit? Sure. So we're um, starting to see Thunderbolt products hit the market now. Um, and What's out now? Well, we've drives, got the, right? the drives, and we should be starting to see some some of the boxes real soon now. I mean, everyone was talking July timeframes, and um, presumably, you know, even if those have slipped a little, we're we're getting right into the time when we should start seeing things like Black Magic's um, Ultra Studio and the adapter from Motu, uh, oh, or from uh, Matrox, Matrox, and. Um, I don't know that Motu was showing anything. Um, I think they were, I think actually. they yeah. were. I mean, they were yeah, definitely yeah, yeah. showing uh, audios stuff. Right. And uh, I guess Avid didn't, or uh, AJA did not have a uh, timeline for their product. But uh, in any case, you know, Thunderbolt is starting to become a reality in the market. Um, and we should see next week um, in the next round of Apple hardware to add it, which will be the MacBook Airs and the Mac Minis, um, leaving just, I think, the Mac Pro and um, probably still a base MacBook if people are still buying that product, um, lacking Thunderbolt. Really, you think they're going to have products that don't have Thunderbolt? Well, I just, I, you know, as they rev them, they will. It's oh. just that they haven't, you know, they're not going to rev the Mac Pros until this new um, Intel chip is out there, um, whatever is beyond nine nine two eight three four two mark six um that's their that's their code name for yeah it? yeah exactly uh is that what is that a small community in in israel somewhere <laughs> yeah <laughs> careful um so but they are that's what they yeah, 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 yeah. um they used to name them here after and then uh the guys here <laughs> made the pentium four and they didn't get the name chips anymore <laughs> Um, I'm sure they get to name chips they design. They yeah. just don't get to design many chips anymore. Uh, someone's got to build North Bridges and stuff. Um, but the you know so the Thunderbolt is becoming a reality in the in the Apple market. We also saw Sony ship their first product with the Thunderbolt technology, although not in a way that is particularly interesting. Um, what did they do? So they shipped a laptop that uses Thunderbolt to connect a docking. Oh yeah, over basically. USB. Well, over a USB, USB connector, connector, right, with two little like Thunderbolt uh, appendages inside of it, which uh, the USB forum does not approve of, and it's sort of you know word on the street is that perhaps um, you know Sony had this product in the pipeline before Intel changed or officially decided on a port. Um, but uh, in I any, kind of, I really like that idea. Oh, I do too. But um, you know, USB forum would never allow it. No, I mean, I like the idea of the dock. Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I envision a day not too far in the future where we don't put graphics cards in our laptops anymore. We put them in our monitors. Well, and that's what the Sony product is, is it's got the Intel so, integrated graphics. You dock and get a beefy GPU. 
Right, but then your dock plugs in your monitor. But I mean, I could see Apple just moving their NVIDIA chipsets into the monitors. Sure. I mean, I, I think, you know, Thunderbolt's a really exciting product, but I think people have misinterpreted what it's for, or maybe I'm misinterpreting what, uh, you know, people like Apple see. But you hear people talking about Thunderbolt becoming sort of the only port on a computer, um, and you'll connect your... Uh, keyboard that way, and you know your your printer, and all. I mean, of course, as I think about these things, these are all things that connect wirelessly now. But in in, in any yeah. case, um, you know, Thunderbolt is it's fundamentally going to be an expensive technology to implement because it's a really high performance, complicated technology. Um, right. And even, even, you know, right now the price is kept artificially high in part because Intel is the sole source of chips for it. And they're pricing those chips pretty high, up to $100 a chipset is what I've heard. Really? Wow. Um, which, you know, instantly, you know, means that if you're Blackmagic, you can't do, um, you know, a 299 card if you're paying Intel 100 bucks. Uh, that makes the rest of it pretty tough to, to do. Um, so, but even if we start to see sort of generic chipsets, I think you know there's a lot of technology in this in this platform. And then we had a whole hubbub um, a couple weeks ago when the first Thunderbolt cables went on sale for fifty bucks a piece, and people sort of had their instinctive apples gouging us sort of reaction uh, until someone pulled one of them apart um, and saw what's involved in making. A piece of copper that can move two channels of uh, synchronous, you know, full duplex, ten gigabit communications. Right. I mean, they're running they're running signal buffer chips internally. Right, and that you know account for impedance and do all kinds of other sexy things. And I think it's which totally explains how I've been very confused about this whole like it's a Thunderbolt and a monitor. Right. Cable, a right. mini display port, and now it makes sense. Right. It's and it's I also mean, that chipset has to be. Well, is it? Is it like a host controller too? No. No. So I guess I still don't understand how they're able to do this all over one connector. I don't. I don't really get it either. Um, in terms of like how you get backwards compatibility with monitors that are just mini display port. Yeah. Well, they say that the mini display port thing always has to be last. Right. But, but I mean, are, they, make are they literally just, I mean, or maybe I they're guess, just yeah, they're, wrapping it up and sending it down Thunderbolt? Or is it something that the controller in each bridge device determines what the next device is, and if it knows it's a mini display port device, it just only passes that signal? I mean, it could do. I mean, these are like serious. Or are they separate pins? Do yeah. they just add more pins? I don't think so. I don't I guess we could, you know, look into it rather than speculating, but that doesn't sound like fun. Um and it also, you know, th this I think helps clarify for some people how they're going to do the switch to optical when they decide to do that, which is that, you know, you have a transceiver that you plug in and then you run an optical cable from there. Again, just like um, with they're running with yeah, fiber like fiber channel, fiber yeah, channel with SPF, where you have the jibic. Yep. Um, and you know, people had this reaction of fifty bucks a cable, but um, by and large, those were people who've never sort of bought ten gigabit. Ethernet equipment and found out, you know, in that case, generally the the sort of smarts to do um, all of the dealing with cable impedance and all that kind of stuff is, is on the card, but those cards are very expensive. Um, in this case, you know, 
nearly every MacBook Air that ships um, will go its entire life without ever plugging into a Thunderbolt device. And so building a lot of extra cost into those products um, to, to account for the, the you know, 10% of users who will ever use that technology doesn't make sense. It makes a lot of sense to move that into the cable and then really? people who actually use the technology uh, will pay for it when they buy a cable. You don't agree? No. I mean, people, if, if so, so basically the two choices were make, so Apple sells, what, $1,000 laptop? That's their cheapest? Right. Ish. Yeah. So in a $1,050 laptop and $7 cables or $4 cables or buck 20 cables or, you know, free cables that you take anytime you get a job, um, why, you know, like, that seems like a much better plan, especially since it's chainable. Like, that gets really expensive. Yeah, but I don't, I think that the reality is that the people using this stuff are going to be using $1,000 black magic boxes, and they're going to have maybe one of those and one drive array. And I, I guess, but I don't know. I mean, it's just like I, you're going to forget the cable. Every time you go somewhere, you're going to forget the cable, and you're going to buy another one. Well, I'm sure that, you know, 50 bucks. In the same way, you not. know, how many FireWire cables do you have now? Yeah. But uh, I have a lot more FireWire devices than I'll probably ever have Thunderbolt devices. And, but they're uh, going to take the FireWire port off the machines next month. I know, but it's not like, you know, 10 years ago when I had a stack of FireWire drives. Like, you know, I can buy three terabyte disks from Newegg or I can buy a nice Thunderbolt RAID array that holds all my disks. I um, suppose. But... I, I just, I mean, and I'm sure 50 bucks a cable is not the, the final price. You know, yeah. other people will get, get driven business. Down. But it's always going to be more expensive than a $3 cable from Monoprice. Um, yeah. But I, I do think it makes sense because, you know, for, for space efficiency reasons inside something like a MacBook Air and for cost efficiencies, um, you know, it's probably decisions like that that make it practical for them to roll it into every product they ship um, rather than having it be more niche like Express Card is or something. I suppose. I don't know. I would have gone the other way personally. Yeah. Well, it's not too late. You could uh, get them to start. I could start a computer company. Yeah. Um, hopefully, we will see those Mac Pros very soon, though. I think that's what a lot of people are excited about um, to start. There's, there's rumors that they're going to drop with Lion. Yeah, I think those, those rumors have since been replaced with other rumors saying that the first rumors were wrong and that they actually meant Mac Minis. Um, which That would be good, too. Own, I would actually yeah. prefer that more. The Mac Mini with uh, you know i7 and a Thunderbolt connector makes a pretty nice machine for a lot of things in the video space. That would be a nice scope box machine. But a MacBook Air with a Thunderbolt connector is also a pretty sexy. I mean, you know, a MacBook Air with a Blackmagic Ultra Studios you know taped to the back is still about the world's most portable scope. Yeah, this is a lot more expensive. I mean, yeah. it's for field stuff. I mean, I, I will welcome that. Because there are people who are going to want to do field acquisition, but there are a lot of people who want a turnkey, you know, solution for you know, or like you know, a way to set up a second box in their edit suite, and right. a Mac Pro and a Kona card is a little spendy, and a monitor. Right. Yeah, I mean, what would be great is if someone, you know, Blackmagic, I think because of the 
R&D costs and the chipset costs and other things have chosen to position the Thunderbolt product at, at the high end of their own product range with you know dual inputs, dual three gig inputs, and you know lots of other bells and whistles. Um, you know what would be the dream for us is someone to do a sort of as cheap as possible box that's just an HDSDI to Thunderbolt spigot. Yeah, uh, I mean, why is that? Just a you think that's just a product of. I mean, I guess it's a product of who got there first. But, I mean, they, they are doing that on the USB side, USB right. 3. Right, And that that's just because, I mean, is it because the USB 3 is a better connector for that or just because there's more widespread adoption of it um, on the host side? Well, and does, do any of do their USB 3 devices, they don't push uncompressed, do they? Or do they? They might. Yeah, they've got their ultra, what's their little the, the shuttle with the, pro. With the slope. No, the Shuttle Pro is the other thing. No, the Shuttle Pro. Isn't the Shuttle Pro the thing that takes the SSDs? No, no, no. That's the... Um... Oh, my God. i got to look this up now. Bloody Australians. I remember uh, the good old days back when Blackmagic and Google found you an entirely different website. It still does, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. Blackmagic.com. Well, not for me. Yeah, Blackmagic.com. The Keep. Yeah, but I, that doesn't show up when you search, when you Google for oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Blackmagic anymore. But it's, yeah, intensity shuttle. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, I would love something like that. Although that's not a super cheap product, is it? Two hundred bucks. Oh wow. Ten bit HDMI and analog. I mean, make that a three hundred dollar product. Slip uh, Thunderbolt into it, and I'd be. Or take analog off. Yeah. But I mean, even better would be what. Uh, a couple years ago at NAB, someone was showing off an Express Card. Uh, card that was just an HDSDI connector, and I don't right. think that ever shipped. They were looking. I don't for think that ever existed. But, uh, well, no, I mean it of. obviously didn't work as a product, but something in that form factor, um, you know, now with Thunderbolt, but even back then with ExpressCard, just would have been a pretty amazing platform or a pretty amazing, you know, scope box accessory. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, anybody wants to make one, contact us. Yeah, here getting into hardware is a really good way to, you know. Make money. Yeah. I guess I hold off on that. Done too bad at it, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I think they've got a few more resources than me. So far, but we'll keep working. We'll keep uh, pushing and uh, doing all the other things that we do. Speaking of, uh, if you're a ClipRap user, make sure you update new version. Lion. Yeah, are, are you saying that it has Lion support? Yeah, doesn't it? It's got Lion support. It doesn't not work in Lion. I guess that's Lion support. Yeah, it's been tested. It's uh, it does uh, have support for um, these new Sony 60P sort of video uh, still cameras that are sort of sweeping the world. Um, yeah, you've been following this more than me. I, I mean, I just added support for it, but I don't know anything about this. I don't know a ton about it, aside from the fact that suddenly one day our support started getting flooded with people who have bought these cameras that shoot, Sony cameras that shoot 60p 1080 video um, in the, from their still camera line um, and you know, wanting oh, support. Oh, they're still cameras? Yeah, yeah. Um, they're, I don't remember what Sony's name for them is, um, but it's like... They're the, the Alpha, like they're high-end, they're DSLRs? or nah, like the Cybershot, that's what it is. Um, huh. So like their HX9V um, is a $350 camera that shoots 1080p60 and apparently shoots really amazing 1080p60 video, especially for that price point. And um, they've got a bunch of other products that are shooting this, this 1080p60 format, um, but... Uh, 
What's the form factor of those? Are they are they it's, like it's like a point and shoot. So they're like the boxy lens sticking out the front. Lens collapses in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. But uh, they seem to have moved a lot of them because our support has really blown up with them. They've also got the HX100V um, in that line, and I think they must have a couple others because I've seen some other product lines uh, mentioned maybe, maybe in other parts of the world. Yeah, other foreign lines, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, again, it's, you know, this you know, commodity hardware that shoots good enough video that people are pretty excited about. So, Yeah, it's interesting that that... I mean, so a topic I've been thinking about a lot lately that I'm not really sure... I don't know, it hasn't really gelled in my mind yet. It's just thinking about how as different medias get more and more... Um, commodified or um, I guess co-opted by you know just standard you know low-cost modes of production and whatnot how there ends up a for lack of a better word uh, like a punk aesthetic which sure. is you know the, the shitty version of it the, the bad version of it beep right <laughs> No, we, we right, just right, we, right down the time. We do these in serial instead of in parallel, so we we swear <laughs> and then we beep. <laughs> yeah, I mean the beeps have a five second delay. That's what they meant, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like, you know, nowadays it's fun to do the off reg. You know, for a while it was the off registration color. You know, CMYK color thing. Um, there was the photocopy look, you know, in desktop publishing I'm talking about. Um, and it seems like we're starting to see a lot of that in video now. Um, and, you know, there, there are always, like, specific, like, breakdowns in the system which are being recreated for right. traumatic effect. So, you know, one of the ones that, that's been coming up lately is... Um, it's stuttering. Right. Um, you know, there's, I'm thinking of the, you know, and these are always big in music videos, but um, I'm thinking of the, like, the start of the, the big Ida Maria song where it looks like, I don't know, two frames being repeated back and forth. Sure. So it's almost like you're parked on a play, like your playhead's parked on something in your latest footage. Um, the new one is Kanye West and the data moshing, okay. which is like forcing bad. Um, Basically taking out iframes. Yeah. Um, and so forcing a, a compression effects where you start applying motion vectors to the wrong uh, pixels. Or the, the which wrong is imagery. a really neat effect it's, when you try to when you do it on purpose. It's, it's, it's less fun when uh, it's happening because you're you know, having a problem with your encoder, but... It, it it is a really cool effect. Um, it's and, and so yeah. Go ahead. I was I like I was trying to think today in the last couple of days like what what of those haven't been done yet in terms of and, like glitches we used to deal with that uh, that are now cool. Yeah, to try to recreate. Yeah. Um, and one of the ones I came up with rolling shutter, but I'm not sure that's obvious enough. Right. Well, and I think it's you know, not, not yet, uh, not yet what solved enough. That uh, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, uh, 
Well, one that still bugs me a lot is uh, people who get field order reversed. But again, I think that's an issue that people are still dealing with. People, well, and no, you know, those things are subtle enough that most people don't even notice. Oh, God, people must notice that. I don't think they do. It's like sync. People don't notice these things. Yeah, okay. Well, um, but it's, you know, um, there's a lot of sort of digital video effects that have become you know, part of that language for talking about, you know, what, what, is a, what does a bad sort of video connection look like in fiction? Um, you know, compression artifacts, you know, macro blocks dropping out, um, things like that that, it, that have just become part of our language around sort of bad video. Um, Although that is not usually the, that's the, the weird, that one they don't ever recreate properly. Compression artifacts? Or yeah, no, because if, if your signal's dropping, it always gets staticky. Right, well, yeah, that's true, too. Um, and it loses sync, loses vertical sync. Right. Well, even now, even like in Star Wars, you know, in the future, they're driving around you know, moon-sized death. Well, maybe that's just Can a sign it's... that uh, Skype has a, an implementation issue, and they should, they should roll that in when you start dropping packets. Um, there you go. Yeah. But uh, and what? What else? Look, what else? You know? Are we going to get to a point where whites? We're going to see music video where you get static with whites. Oh, I, I expect so. I, again, I mean, that may be one that you know might be too subtle. A lot of people I don't think ever realized that the reason like the car commercial got all crackly when it got really bright was because the video was bleeding into the audio track. Um, right. But I, I think that probably, you know, as a, a subconscious thing is likely going to be used. Um, and I'm just trying to think, you know, what other issues did we deal with back in the early days of, of digital video? But, uh, you know, usually there were things that if you, the, the, the final user never saw um, because yeah. the issues were like, how do I get this back to tape? Um, Right. I mean, it was actually, it was interesting to see, did you see the uh, Conan did a uh, little skit about Final Cut Pro X? Right, yeah. Did you see that? Yeah. Um, and so they tried to basically, you know, foreground problems and edits. Right. And so the big ones they did were... Um, um, sync. Same. Or like just like bad, like the wrong on-camera shot, like non-sought audio. Right. From an interview. They did that once. They did, um, you know, some of them were like things you would never actually, like the thing where like the guy says like, you know, we can do graphics like this. And no graphics came up. And then they came up like four shots later. Right. Um, and then the the one that I was kind of surprised to see, I'm not sure. It was they like they rebuilt like a media offline yeah. slug, which I don't think. I mean, I see that constantly on TV. Yeah, like when you get a couple pictures and pictures going and like the fade effects and stuff. It's so common to see media offline in like the last seven frames of a fade out of a shot. Right, because the render file got screwed up. Right. Um. The other one they did was uh, sort of leaving in extra handles on on cuts or something, sort of really loose cuts. Or cutting right in the middle of a shot, yeah, yeah. right in the middle of a bite, yeah. yeah. And they're all it, things that, you know, you would say, well, that doesn't, 
I've, you know, we've seen finished edits that have all of those issues because, you know, you nudge something by accident right before you printed a video. Again, getting back to the idea that Avid, you know, makes it a two-step process to sort of screw up your timeline. Right. Uh, Final Cut X, or Final Cut Pro 7 definitely didn't, and Final Cut yeah. X, um, you know, actually it does a much better job at keeping you from doing that, but... Well, it keeps it in sync. It doesn't give, necessarily keep it right. Well, but if you're using compound shots and things, it becomes much easier to sort of lock off your work as you go, uh, which That's I true. think is actually a really cool, cool set of features. Yeah, that is very good. So, well, maybe we uh, call it quits here, and uh, next week we'll talk about Lion for sure. Yeah, it's coming up. We can talk about all the secrets that uh, you already know because people have been leaking about this for six months now. Yeah, is there? I mean, are we going to have anything to talk about with Lion? I think there's some cool stuff uh, in the the world of AV. Some, yeah. some foundational stuff. Um, in the AV? Yeah. Hmm. And probably a few other things, too. And uh, I don't know. We'll have some experience to talk about running it in the real world, hopefully. And we'll see where it goes. And, and worse, we'll have everyone else's experiences of running it in the real world. <laughs> in the form of emails. Um, where did I, where did Xcode go? Uh-oh. Okay, well, I'm going to have to deal with that. Oh, God, Xcode, you bastard. It installed on top of Xcode 3, even though... Yeah, yeah but that. No, my Xcode 3 was installed in a folder called Developer Xcode 3. I installed Xcode 4, and it put itself in that folder. It doesn't... No. Yeah. You did it on purpose. Because there was a You must have let it do that or something. Man, I have to reinstall Xcode 3. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. Everyone really, really develops on Xcode 4. I swear. Mm. All right. See you next week. It's got less interesting. Yeah. Next week. <laughs>